without further ado, I'd like to invite Patty to come on up from out, out of Egypt Ministries, all the way from Orange County, California. Thank you. But originally from New Jersey, Charlene, yes, yes, where are my Jersey people? <gasps> Andrea! Listen, there's Charlene, Andrea, and Deb, and you need to get to know those ladies. They will show you the heart of New Jersey, because sometimes Jersey gets a bad rap, right? Uh-uh. Some of the best people I've ever met in my life are from New Jersey. So, yes, God transplanted me from New Jersey to California right after I was a flight attendant for 25 years, based out of Newark, loved my job. So then when he called me into ministry, I was doing ministry and flying uh, full-time for both, and then he called me, this is such a God story, I'll, I'll get to all the other stuff in a second, but I just want to say hi. Um, he called me, you know, he was moving in my heart to retire and preparing me, took a couple leave of absences, you know, but didn't get paid, but I kept my health insurance, right? That's like the most important thing. I had amazing health insurance. And then in January of 2020, he's like, call personnel, fill out your paperwork. If you're ready, if you'll trust me, you're done. My last day with health insurance was March 31st. 2020, when the whole world was experiencing a global health pandemic. And I'm like, well, this has to be a God story. So now I'm living fully on missionary support, support from churches, support from individuals. And well, the church is closed. Hmm. How's that going to work? And then I started doing like live Instagrams. And if you ever go and, and watch them, at the end, you always see my face right up to the screen. Now, what button do I touch to turn this off? So just raw and bad. But you know what? The Lord gave me even more support that year than I originally had the year before. And then it was, all right, you ready? Time, I mean, long story, but uh, I'm going to move you to California now. Not just California, but the most expensive county in California, which is probably the most expensive county in the United States, Orange County, California. And I'm like, Lord, the rent there for, for a, 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 like, square little box. It's like $3,000. But he's like, if you trust me, just go. This is, this is so him, because <laughs> this, is, this isn't on my notes that I never follow anyways. <laughs> so I filled my whole life, got rid of everything except my clothes and shoes and ministry stuff into the back of a Honda Fit. And I drove across the country having no idea where I was going to live. Halfway through, I got a text message from a friend in California saying, hey, my friend knows a lady who's renting out a place, so on and so on. And, and I get to California, and I give this lady a call, and I am you know, gave, hey, I'm, I'm a missionary. I, this is what I'm doing. This is how old I am. I'm not a kid. I'm not going to you know, do anything. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, you know, can I come look at your place? But first, let me ask you how much the rent is. And she's like, oh, it's $2,000. And I'm like, that's what I figured, which is actually kind of low for what I heard about California. Um, I was paying $9.50 in, in Jersey, and I, I know that I'll never see that out here. But I asked the Lord, and the Lord told me that I could go up to $1,200 for my rent. And so I just want to let you know, since I got that text message, I've been praying that the Lord would supply you with the right person for your apartment, but I don't think it's going to be me. And she's like, you sound so great. Why don't you just come over and have coffee? So I went over. She's like, let me just show you the apartment. It's itty-bitty, but it's exactly what I need. And it was beautiful. She just had it built on the second 
part of second floor of her home. So nobody had lived in it. And I'm like, the, the Lord is going to supply you with the right person here. She's like, he already has. I'm like, see? <laughs> and she's like, it's, it's you. It's you. And I'm like, no, thank you, ma'am, but I can only afford $1,200. She's like, I know. I'm going to give it for you to you for $1,200 utilities included. I was in, in California less than 36 hours. And because I took that step of faith and was obedient to God's call, he supplied my every need. He supplied my every need. So listen, when you pray to him, he hears you. When you take that step of faith, he kind of trusts you in a sense. He trusts you in a sense that he can use you and, and pour through you. What did he tell Jeremiah? Go down to the, to the river or water or wherever it was, and there I'll tell you what to do. He was like, Patty, go to California, and there I'll tell you what to do. So that's my hello. <laughs> Hi. That's how I got to California. But I just want to read, before I get into my testimony, we, we kind of have a long day today. You guys ready for that? I just pray that God will give us everything that he knows the people in this area and the other areas that, that have traveled here, exactly what we need to minister to us in our own struggles, to minister to our friends and family that, that are uh, living in an identity that is not an identity that God gave them, so that we can be ready to bring grace and truth to a people that are living in darkness and have no idea that they are. They think they're living in freedom. And this is what God has done for me. It's Psalm 107, and I will start in verse 10, but verse 20 is my verse. Psalm 107, verse 10. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the, and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to all the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And here's my verse. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So, Father, we thank you for delivering us from your destructions. We thank you for sending your spirit, the spirit of the living God, to lead us and guide us in all truth, which always points us to Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for leaving your throne and coming here and being a man just like us, struggling with the things or experiencing the things that we experienced in life with all these temptations. And you said, no, you said no to all of those temptations so that you could be that perfect, spotless lamb of God 
able to go up on that cross for us. Let us be mindful always that that's what you did for us when we were wallowing in our sin, in our destruction, in our darkness, so that we can be of that same giving, loving, gentle spirit to those who aren't there yet. So fill us each with your Holy Spirit that we can give out and receive all of us today from you. So we trust you in all of this and we lift this up in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me take off my paper clip just in case I use my notes. So I, I want you guys, before I share my testimony, especially since I, I said that, um, you know, God sent his word and, and healed them because that is my story. But I want you to notice the difference from man giving me the word of God versus the Lord himself bringing that word to me to heal me. So what do we generally call... 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Have you ever noticed, though, that verse 1 kind of starts off on a little bit of a, a, a negative, so to speak? It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Ouch. Do you believe every word of God to be true? Yes, me too. We're on the same page. That really is helpful. <laughs> As we look down and we see love is patient, love is kind, and it gives us what these loves are and, and what they're not, we look in verse 8 and we see three very powerful words that say love never fails. And if we believe every word of God, it means that we have to believe those three words and live by that. If we believe love never fails, then can we love people that are very different than us in a deep, dark place? Can we love them and trust that God will be a, a man, a God of his word, and just maybe bring them out of their darkness into his marvelous light like he did with you and like he did with me? Amen. So you're going to see the difference between a man showing me the word of God versus the Lord coming and telling me himself in the midst of my destruction. Because God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while they were still sinners, while we were still sinners. And so when I was at little kid. Um, I was born in 1966, so you don't have to do the math, 55. Um, and I really can't drive 55. To me, the speed limit means that's as slow as you're supposed to go, not as fast as you're supposed to go. I don't know if I got that right or not, but it works for me until I see those lights. Um, so, um, you know, I just played with, with kids that were, were in my neighborhood, as we did back in those days. There wasn't... Um, you know, there wasn't play dates and there wasn't like, like cell phones now for our, our kids and our grandkids. Cell phone are kids' neighborhoods. So that means they have about, I don't know, three billion people that can say, want to come out and play? Just by hitting something and then hitting enter. How dangerous. How dangerous. But praise God, it wasn't like that for me. I grew up in a really great neighborhood in, in western New York, Jamestown, New York, and I loved it. I mean, in, in, in many ways, I really had a great childhood. I enjoyed it. 
I got to do all the fun things that I wanted to do as a little kid, which was baseball, football, hockey, playing with Evil Knievel and G.I. Joe. And when my mom tried to buy me this Raggedy Ann, I'm like, what is this? I don't want it. Because in here, my mind was telling me that I was a boy. In here, my heart was telling me a boy, I was a boy. But my body was declaring something else. And that was very, very confusing for me. I didn't understand why my, my friends Johnny and Billy and Brian were all being called, called all the, the boy words and I was being called girl words. So when I was old enough to, to start to express this or talk about it, however that came out to my parents, they kept trying to reassure me, no, you're just a tomboy, you're, you're fine, you're just a tomboy. And I'm like, no, I'm not a tomboy, I'm a boy. And so my parents didn't know what to do with this. So when I was eight years old in 1974, she took me to the doctor and said, um, hey, my, my daughter thinks she's a boy, what do we do with this? It was 1974. Nobody was talking about things then, and, and he didn't, I guess, all I remember being told of the conversation is that he told my mom, don't worry about it, she'll grow out of it, and she'll end up making a fine wife someday, she'll be fine. So my mom left the doctor's office no better equipped than when she went in. Now we know now that a lot, a lot of kids like in the 90, 90 plus percentile that have gender confusion, once they make their way through puberty, many of them, if you don't do anything, just let them live it and experience it, many of them will grow out of that gender confusion, but that was not my case. So I was very um, angry because I had this girl body. I had this, I had this love-hate relationship with my body. I loved the fact that it could do all the athletic things that I wanted it to do. I really excelled athletically. But I hated it because it was a girl's body. So at five years old, because of this confusion, along with other confusion that I'll, I'll talk about in a few minutes, I began to mar my body. My self-injury started at five years old. And it was, it was a daily comfort for me because it was at that age, it was the only way I could think of how to escape the pain and the confusion that I was experiencing, even if it was just for a few seconds. Later, I turned to drugs and alcohol, and, and we'll talk about that. So I was angry and confused over my body, but I was also angry and confused because of, because of what I was experiencing in my home. And I want you to hear me. This is not me throwing my parents under the bus. This is not me saying anything was my parents' fault. This is me sharing my testimony and what I experienced and how that experience in those circumstances affected me. So inside my home, where no one else could see and no one else could hear, I watched my parents have a very unhealthy relationship with each other daily. Throughout the day, I would hear my dad say things and speak things over my mom, to my mom, yelling at my mom, scowling at my mom, sometimes laughing at my mom, saying things like, you're stupid. If she would like, 
be in the kitchen and turn and hit her hand or something or hip on, on the counter and go, ouch, he would go off. You're so stupid. You don't even know how to get around in your own kitchen. You're so worthless. You're actually crazy. You're so crazy, I'm going to drop you off at the loony bin and never pick you up. Over and over and over, I would hear my dad say that. So it, it confused me about who my mom was. Was she stupid and crazy? Like, what do you do with that as a little kid? What do you do with that? Either mom is really stupid and crazy, or dad's a mean, nasty liar. Where, where do you land on that as a child? So confusing. Then I watched my mother uh, manipulate my dad, in a sense. I think that's maybe the only way she found control, maybe, is, is a wounded woman. And so, because the mind is always trying to process things, whether you're five or 55, the mind is always processing what it's experiencing. The way I processed that is, hmm, mom is manipulating dad. I mean, it's, I'm using adult words to explain it. Mom is manipulating dad, so does that mean she doesn't trust him? And if she doesn't trust him, should I? So that perception led to the deception that no man could tr be trusted. And my perception of women was they're weak and stupid and useless, so I didn't want to be around men in the sense that you couldn't trust them, yet I detached myself from my mom, meaning I detached myself from the femininity that, that typically I would have grown into after puberty, and I was just, I felt so abandoned. I felt so abandoned. So I didn't want to be like my mom, and I didn't want to be like my dad. So who do I, whose reflection do I take on? I didn't know God. We didn't go to church. We were Christers, Christmas and, and Easter, but, that, but that's it. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I mean, we watched, um, what was Charlton Heston in on TV every year? Ten Commandments. We watched that. You know, and I'm like 10 minutes into it, drooling, sleeping on the little, little sleeping bag that I had or whatever, or beanbag chair, because it was the 70s. So that I, did, I didn't know anything, and I didn't know what to do with all this. To make matters even more difficult and more confusing was that I was actually experiencing sexual abuse as well. And it was for a number of years. And so because, again, my mind is trying to figure this out, I know now, because I've sat with the Lord for many years working through this, that in my mind, what I thought is, this must only happen to little girls. If I could just become that boy that I long to be and that I feel like anyways, certainly this would have to stop because it, it wouldn't be able to work if I had a boy body. When will I get my boy body so I would just lay in bed as I'm injuring myself and making my sheets all bloodied up because I just couldn't stand myself praying, begging, crying out, whatever you do as a little child that doesn't know Jesus, but I think I did because that's what he does with children. Just like, help, help, help. Can I just become a boy? If I become a boy, everything will be better. So because of all this, I, I didn't trust anyone. Um, the verbal abuse I saw and, and the sexual abuse I endured, I learned to manipulate situations so that I could stay safe. So I became a master manipulator. 
and that followed me for years. Even after I got saved, the Lord had to teach me how not to manipulate anymore, that I could trust him and walk in his ways. But then I had no clue that there was a God that I could turn to. And then I, I think it was like around, I don't know, nine or 10 years old, somewhere around there, maybe 10 or 11, I don't know. But I started to recognize that I liked girls in a special way. And immediately when I noticed that it was an attraction the way like the boys were, like they would, you know, pull their hair or throw snowballs at them or whatever way you flirt as a, as a little kid, at least back then, now you just sex to them. <laughs> so sad. Lord, help our, help our kids. Um, I was doing the same thing and I realized, ooh, I like them. And it was like, yay, I like girls. And that's cool because a boy is supposed to like girls. And then it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm a girl. So this is very confusing. So again, I started to hate myself because of that. Not because I knew what the word of God said. Not because I was going to church and the, the pastor or preacher was talking about homosexuality. Nobody talked about it back then unless it was, you're just going to burn in hell. And so it was just in me. It was just in me that I knew that that was wrong. So I didn't have anywhere to turn. I didn't have anyone around that I could talk to. So I felt very isolated and alone. So at 12 years old, I began drinking. And very, very quickly, just probably a couple weeks or a couple months after starting to drink, I started doing drugs. It did start with pot. Don't let anyone tell you that pot is not a gateway drug. When you, when you are hurting or bored and you get high and that high feels good, eventually it's not good enough. And you look for something more. So that was my experience. So by the time I was 14, I was, was doing LSD, cocaine, mushrooms, quaaludes, everything you could think of. I did over 30 hits of acid before I even turned 17 years old. I shouldn't be able to form a complete sentence, but every day is fashion for us when as yet there were none of them. Amen? So the Lord knew that I would be right here right now sharing with all of you guys and fellowshipping with you guys all day. But as I kept taking more and more hits, I, I didn't know that. That one last hit could have been the thing that brought my mind to a place that it could have never come back. But I didn't care because it felt better to escape in being high than it did to be sitting in this painful reality that was my life. So I was a drug-addicted alcoholic by the time I was 15. I graduated high school, praise God, at 17 years old, not because I was smart, but because my birthday is in September. <laughs> so I started school at four instead of five. So I graduated high school at 17. I have a sister and a brother, 14, I mean 15 and 13 years older than me, both out of the house. I was raised basically as an only child. My sister lived in Florida with her family, so she grabbed me out of New York and brought me down there to live with her. To this day, we still don't know why she did that <laughs> or even how. We, neither one of us have a memory of how that even happened, just that it did. Praise God. So I'm in Florida. Um, I'm getting ready to turn 18 years old, and I go to a party with my sister who's with her friends that are also around 15 or older, years older than me, but what am I going to do? This is, this is all I know, and I was used to partying, with people that were much older than me, because that's what I did in New York. I didn't have, like, early on, like, probably around 10, 11 years old, the boys that were my best friends, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore because I was becoming too much like them, and they were getting teased for being with me. 
the girls didn't want to hang out with me because I wasn't enough like them. So the only place I found my niche since I was doing drugs and alcohol was with the party people. And I met these party people by playing on a women's softball league because after I did little league with the boys, they wouldn't let me go any further in baseball because it was just for boys. And so I started playing softball. The only softball I could play was with women in a league that was just like those drinking leagues because I got kicked off of playing with my high school because I got caught selling drugs. So this was my only place left to play and these people partied. And so I went to their parties where I was 15, 16 years old and they were 20, 30 years old. And because I was an addict now and had no money, I needed drugs, I needed to get high. So I found myself at these parties exchanging myself for these drugs with men. I didn't know at the time, but you know what that is? Sexual abuse. It doesn't matter if I walked in and said, give me, give me, give me, here, take. I was 15 years old and they were 30. That is sexual abuse and nothing else. And if you know anyone that's been in a situation where they might have walked in and said, okay, and something happened, it's not your fault, it's not what you wanted, it is sexual abuse, and talk to somebody about it and allow the Lord to minister to you through that so that you can be healed through that and no longer carry that shame. God doesn't want you to carry that shame. So I'm in Florida and I'm at this party and at this party this guy asks me out on a date and I didn't really want to, to go out on a date with anyone. I'd never dated, dated a man or dated a woman. No one ever saw me and looked at me and just said, hey, I'd like to spend time with you for, for you. I felt invisible. But this guy asked me out on a date and so I'm like, hmm, okay. I mean, I didn't really want to. And I said no a few times, lost at a game. I told him we'd shoot a game of pool. And if he won, I'd go out on a date. And if I won, I'd say no. And I was really good at pool. So I figured I'd win. But he kicked my tail. <laughs> so I'm like, so I go out on a date with this guy and I started thinking, you know what? Maybe this isn't bad. Maybe if I go out on a date with a guy, I'll like guys. Maybe this is just all it, it takes. Maybe it'll take away my same-sex attraction and my gender confusion because I did not want it. So we go out on this date and we're driving and so I'm just asking questions, you know, who are you, what are you all about? Why was everyone so excited and to see you at the party? What, what was that all about? And he's like, oh, it's the first time I've seen everyone since I was released from prison. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> hmm. So I'm thinking, like, do I jump out of the car at the next red light? I mean, I watched The Bionic Woman. I really like Lindsay Wagner. Maybe I can actually jump out of the car while it's moving and just get a replacement arm. You guys remember Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar Man? Yeah, yeah. So why everyone else, why all the other girls were like, Steve Austin and the Six Million Dollar Man. I'm like, ooh, Lindsay Wagner. <laughs> so crazy. But so I, I'm like, well, what did I ask him? You know, what did you do to, to go to prison? He's like, oh, I was, I was, you know, I did a little armed robbery and I was only gone for three years. And I'm like, yeah, that's not too bad. I stole a lot of things to buy drugs with. So where are we going to dinner? You see, someone saw me. Someone was giving me 
attention without an exchange. And so I continued dating him. And then just shy of a year later, we ended up getting married. The same-sex attraction and the gender confusion didn't go away. And I'm like, maybe if I marry him, it'll go away. Because I was trying to do everything in my own strength because I didn't know who God was. No one told me about Jesus. No one. And so we got married just shy of a year later. And I was a 19-year-old, same-sex attracted, gender-confused, drug-addicted, alcoholic teenager. And he was a 27-year-old ex-con, just released from prison with no job. And I said yes, because I would have done whatever it took to make all that stuff go away. And so I thought this was going to do it. But that's not what happened. Weeks into our marriage is when he began to physically abuse me. And so I'm like, see, I knew it. I knew it. All men are bad. All men are bad. Now we can understand why I thought that circumstantially in my life, the men that I experienced were bad. So it's understandable I thought that way, and the enemy knows that. The enemy saw all my experiences, so he's planting more seeds of deception in my heart going, you're right, all men are bad, stay away from them. So I made a vow in my heart that I would never be with a man again. I'm like, I tried it, not doing it. So I ended up getting out of that situation and moving up to New Jersey, and that's when I, start, that's when I came out, and that's when I started identifying as gay. And you guys need to hear me on this. And you need to understand this. That when I came out and started identifying as gay is when I felt freedom for the first time in my life. And that freedom was real to me. It was real to me. I felt safe for the first time in my life. I felt welcomed into a community, into a people group for the first time in my life. And there I felt like I wasn't going to get hurt. But just because I felt free doesn't mean I was free. Circumstances and feelings were deceiving me, but what a, now don't hear what I'm not saying in this, what a beautiful deception, right? And that's how the enemy works. He makes the deception look beautiful and inviting. I needed to be safe. I literally needed to be safe. I had legitimate needs that had never been met. And now I was meeting all those needs in an illegitimate way, but I didn't realize that. And that's how sin is. That's how deception is. Deception comes knocking on your door and you open up that door and, and it's not like sin and deception or the enemy is there with like, you know, this red, you know, freaky body horns and a pitchfork and blood dripping from his fangs. We would slam that door immediately and you know what, even if we didn't believe in God, we would cry out to God in that moment. But that's not how sin comes to our door. Sin comes to our door and when we open it, it's like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're exactly what I need. And don't think that the enemy's not the one that's behind that. 
because he watches and he prays, P-R-E-Y-S. He prays on us, especially when we're not praying P-R-A-Y to God. And that's what was happening to me. My heart was being filled with seeds of deception and then I took steps in my own life to water those seeds and that's what grew. So I'm walking out in this uh, newfound freedom, doing whatever I wanted to. I, had, I was still drinking and partying like crazy. I was experiencing relationships with women and then, you know, some short-term relationships, you know, a couple months and then maybe one that was like a year or two long. And it just, it was, it was all that I thought I wanted, yet it was so empty at the same time, and I couldn't figure out why. So in my mind, trying to figure everything out, I'm like, you know what it is? I'm getting old now. I'm like 28. <laughs> I need to settle down. That's what it is. I just need to meet the woman of my dreams, and that's it. No more women, just me and her for the rest of our lives. And it happened. As a flight attendant, I was working a flight, met a woman, and we hit it off right away, and both of us knew this was it. We would be spending the rest of our lives together. So she moved from out west, she moved to New Jersey, we got an apartment together, lived there for a while, and then as our relationship is progressing, it's like, let's get a house. I'm like, yes, let's do it. So we, we bought a house together, and everything was going great. We had a really great relationship. You know what? She's a really great lady. And then it was just like we started getting a little older. Now we're in our 30s, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die any minute. <laughs> and we started talking about spiritual things. And you know why we started talking about spiritual things? Because it's natural for people to start talking and searching and feeling spiritual things. I wasn't an atheist just because I was gay. I just didn't believe or know the true and living God. So we started buying books and reading books on reincarnation, Buddhism, never like the Muslim stuff, but, but I really felt drawn to the reincarnation and the Mother Earth stuff. I even, even before her, I was always searching as an adult, searching for spiritual things. So I would take a bunch of drugs. Do you guys know where Pine Bush, New York is? So there was this place that we found out, Pine Bush, New York, that supposedly had a bunch of UFO sightings. So we would take a bunch of drugs, camp out in the middle of a cornfield someplace, and I would think the higher I am, the more the aliens will find me, and if they suck me up into their UFO, I can ask them if they've met God because they travel more than me, even though I'm a flight attendant. <laughs> I mean, that's how desperately I wanted something more than what I had. So we were searching through all these spiritual things, but what we knew is that we didn't want anything to do with Christianity. Because the only thing we knew about Christianity, besides the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, was from the Christians that we saw. And as far as I know, the only Christians that we saw and experienced, there was a couple of them on an airplane, and that's significant, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the only Christians we saw, we went to New Jersey, Gay Pride, and we went to New York City's gay pride. And every time we were at Pride in Jersey or in New York, we always saw signs that we figured were from Christians because they were talking about God, or signs that would say, say something like, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know, because sarcasm is God's heart. That's horrible. 
God hates fags. Homos will burn in hell. And then sometimes we'd see this one, or I would see this one, and I was so confused by it, and I figured it was a Bible verse. Because I was tripping on acid one time when I was 14 years old, and I came home too early because my friends dropped me off. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm at the highest point of my high. What am I going to do? I went into my uh, bedroom and sat on my orange beanbag chair and you know, put on some Led Zeppelin or whatever it was, and that started freaking me out. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get the family Bible that's like as big as this podium. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start at the back. So I started in the book of Revelation while I was tripping on acid. Not a good idea. Don't take drugs. And if you're going to start reading the Bible for the first time, I mean, hey, the Lord might start you in Revelation, but Genesis and John are really good as well. So I, I, I had a little bit of familiarity with the Bible. So when I saw signs that said LEV 18 colon 22, I'm like, you know, I bet you that's a Bible verse. I wonder what that says. So needless to say, seeing those signs and seeing those Christians who represented God, supposedly, didn't make me feel welcome into his relationship or even into his presence in any way, shape, or form. All I heard was the loud, obnoxious sounds of hatred, clanging cymbal, and a brassy, brassy voice. But what I didn't know is that God was bigger than them and bigger than those signs. And now I can tell you how he met me right where I was. In December of 2001, my only brother Larry was diagnosed with lung cancer. Very devastating for our family. It's, it's you know, you hear lung cancer and it's, it's very, any cancer, it's very scary. And he was a smoker. I was obviously a, a smoker and a partier. My brother and I were very, very much alike. And so he went through uh, having a lung removed, chemotherapy, radiation. So it was just wreaking havoc, wreaking havoc on his body. So I was going back and forth to visit him a lot. And in the process, one of the times I went to visit him, he's like, Patty, 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 I got something to tell you. Check it out. He's like, Bruce, Bruce Nordwall, the guy that, that lives across the street, he's been bringing it, grabbing his Bible and, and bringing it over and reading it to me. And there's these things called the Gospels that talk about Jesus. And Patty, I believe now. I believe in Jesus. And I was so thrilled because because I, I, I kind of, I, I see his body and his hair falling out in clumps and his, his skin's kind of like this gray color. And I'm like, okay, he needs Jesus. Because we all have Jesus in our hearts. We all know, I mean, in the sense of that we, we know Jesus is real. He's written it on our hearts. And so I was excited for my brother, but there was a part of me that was scared. Like, oh, is he going to start to hate me like those sign people do? which he never did. He never did. And I watched my brother, and I saw this, this man that was just like me. He literally was a truck driver, and he talked like we say truck drivers do. And, you know, he quit, you know, the, the drugs and the drinking. Well, he didn't really stop drinking much, which was unfortunate, but, but all of that stopped. I saw a change in my brother. So I saw the, the cancer killing his body. I saw this life come alive inside of him. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? 
So secretly I was wanting it, but very confused by it. Then on October 22nd, 2002, as I was holding my brother's hand in the hospital, it was his 48th birthday. At 3.45 a.m. in the morning, I watched him take his last breath. My brother died right in front of me with the Bible on his chest, tummy kind of area. And I knew in that moment that my brother just died and went to heaven, and if I were to die right then, I would not. And it scared me. Death became real to me for the first time in my life. And my girlfriend and all my gay community tried to comfort me as best as they could. But when you don't know Jesus Christ, who is the, the, the life and the resurrection, how do you comfort somebody when it comes to death? So I was a mess. And then I had questions rolling around in my heart and my mind. And there was always this big, big question and I didn't know what to do with this. I wanted to talk to my girlfriend about it, but if I, because she was my best friend. She wasn't just my lover, she was my best friend. She was the only person in the world I trusted. It was the only relationship I had ever been in where I wasn't hurt. She treated me well. So I'm like, I want to talk to her about this because this is the most, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened within me. But if I talk to her about this, it could hurt her. And it could hurt our relationship, and that was the last thing I wanted. But I wake up one morning, and I'm just like, wow. There it is again. There's that question. And next thing I knew, I just rolled over, and I looked at her, and I'm just like, babe, do you ever think the way we're living is wrong? And I'm like wanting to pull those words back in, right? I'm like, did I say that out loud? And then I knew I did, because when she looked at me with eyes this big, I'm like, yep. I said that out loud, oh man, now what? And she says to me, I can't believe you just asked me that. I was literally just getting ready to ask you the same thing. You guys tell me that's not the Holy Spirit all up inside our lesbian bedroom that day because there's no place that you can flee from God's presence and there's no place he won't go to make his presence known to you. Christians might have been afraid to come into our house, but not our almighty God. So I'm like, you know what? I, I saw my brother with, with a Bible, and, and I think we should, we should grab a, a Bible. And so we're like, okay, well, let's go find it. So we're going up in our attic, and we're fishing through boxes, and we find her Bible from um, a catechism, I think it was called, and we're like, we bring it down. It's like, okay, <laughs> here it is. You know, all the gold or silver was still on the edges. It was probably like a little girl, those little girl doll thing pictures or whatever on the front. And we're just flipping through, and it's like, man, what do we do with this? And then I was just, like, frustrated. I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. Let's just start reading here. And as God would have it, there's that LEV 18 colon 22, because there happened to be Leviticus 18.22, which says, and you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, just sidetrack for a moment. I want you to hear that it says it is an abomination, not they are an abomination. It's talking about the behavior and the act of sexual immorality. And guess where I happen to be in my, my Devo reading time this morning? Leviticus 18 for my Old Testament reading. I'm just like, God, you're so good. You're so good. And so we were like, um, okay. 
Now, we didn't know about the Bible. We didn't know that there was 31,102 verses in the Bible and five that talk about homosexuality and that God did a miracle like that. But what we did know is that something happened. Something happened. And we believed those words that we saw. And so after about a week, I was like, well... That's talking about guys. Now, I was fully identifying in the masculine at that point, and I, didn't, I couldn't call myself a woman, a she, or her. I didn't call myself he, him, or boy. I mean, dude, Poppy was, was a name I used. Or not a name, but an identifier. But when I wanted, <laughs> when being a woman was to my advantage, then I used it. So I'm like, well, that's just talking about men, and we're women, so maybe we're okay. <laughs> And then uh, my girlfriend comes home from work, and she's like, hey, um, I flew with, with Jody, and I'm shouting her name out just in case she ever hears this, Jody Soares, thank you so much. She's like, I flew with Jody today, and I knew she was a Christian, so I asked her if there was anywhere in the Bible about women being together and it being wrong. And so Jody says, there's this book in the Bible called Romans, and we should read chapter one. And we did, because God was moving And so this is what we read when we got to verse 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 1. Let me take a sip of water real quick. Excuse me. For this reason. Now, the part that says for this reason is because the verses before that were talking about how we worship the creation instead of the creator. And now Paul as he's speaking, writing through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul's like, let me just give you a little example of how you worship self. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, so that word likewise is now connecting these two verses together. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So at this point, we believed that as well and we knew we had to find a church. And so that was very scary for us. We tried a couple, other, a couple of churches, didn't settle right with us. And then my girlfriend comes home from work again and says, hey, I flew with Joyce today. And she told us there's this church called Calvary Chapel Old Bridge and we should go. And so, on, and she's like, now, if you want, you can go to the website and look at it before you go. Now, this is how blinded you are when the veil's not lifted in Jesus Christ, okay? So we pull up the website, and we're looking, and I'm like, you know, I remember my brother talking about Jesus a lot. And I don't, does it even say anything about Jesus on this website? It's a Calvary Chapel. It's Calvary Chapel Old Bridge. The whole thing is about Jesus. <laughs> but we were like, uh. so we're like, well, you know what? Let's just go. Let's just go. So we got up that Sunday morning and got ready for church. And I tell you, that was really scary for me because it's not like I could go to the girl part of my closet and put on my church clothes. I only had men's clothing, underclothing, outer clothing, shoes, watches, glasses, everything was from the men's department. And she, um, you know, she wasn't spinning around in, you know, cute little dresses, but she wasn't quite as, she didn't dress only in men's clothing. So we looked like what people typically think a lesbian relationship looks like, one butch and one more femme or soft butch, um, which is not the case of, anyways, that's a whole different story. We'll maybe talk about that later. We'll see how the Lord directs. But 
we, I knew walking in that we people, we would have this big, you know, L flashing on our chest walking in, lesbian, lesbo, dyke, you know, whatever letter they chose to see when they looked at us. But we went anyways because God was moving in our hearts. And so we walked into this church, and I got to tell you, we were not overwelcomed and we were not underwelcomed. Overwelcomed in the sense like, oh, the lesbians are here, yay, yay, want some coffee, want a donut, Jesus loves you. You know, which would have been weird because they weren't doing that with anybody else, and yet we weren't underwelcomed in the sense like, oh, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, hey, welcome. There's a seat like back over there in, in the corner near the exits if you want to sit there. Nope, we walked in just like everybody else. And that gave me peace because I was nervous. And so we sat down, and I had never heard worship music before in my life, ever. I heard Christmas music and Easter music and like hymns and stuff, but I'd never heard worship music. I was walking in expecting, because it was a good-sized church, I'm like, where's the pipe organ with like the bunch of things sticking out of it and, you know, Bart Simpson's mom with the big hair playing, playing the piano or something? That's what I expected. But I walked in, and I'm like, what was... Was this like used as a club last night and they forgot to take their, their music equipment off? I didn't know there was worship music in the sense that would be soothing to my soul. And so the worship music started and the music just settled me because I love music. But when the words came up on the screen and I saw these words talking about God's holiness and his righteousness and his purity and his goodness... I was in awe, but when I saw the words and heard the sound of people singing these words about how much God loved me, it broke my heart, and I started weeping, weeping. When I tell you my heart was ripped wide open, I was exposed in a good way this time. And I allowed the Lord, this God that I didn't know, to just pour himself into me. And so I'm sitting there arguing with him, going, no, God, there's no way you could love me. Not like these songs say, but I'm, I'm feeling it. What's, what's happening? You, you couldn't love me. I've, I've done so many bad things. I've had so many bad things have happened to me. And, and you, know I'm, you know I'm gay. And besides, all your people tell me that you hate me. There's no way you could love me but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he was showering me in his love and I received it. So that when the pastor, Pastor Lloyd Pulley, opened up the word of God, I heard truth for the first time in my life in a way that I wanted it. And I was in awe of it. And then at the end, he gave an invitation for anybody that wanted to receive this love that he was just like, you know what, I'll, I'll help you out. And if you need a little help praying, I'll, I'll walk you through it. And I had no idea what he was talking about except that my heart was beating so fast I thought I was going to hit the person in front of me and like give them a concussion or something. I mean, it was like, and I'm thinking, man, I haven't done coke in like a week. Why is my heart beating like this? So because I didn't understand what it was, I left, but we couldn't wait to get back the next week, and then another pastor happened to be a guest speaker that way, Ed Stepanowski, remember him? 
he was sharing that week, and then at the you know same thing, music, ah, oh, crying, heart wide open, word of God, truth, 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 killing those seeds of deception because they were being watered by the truth and by the Holy Spirit because whatever waters is was what will grow. And Pastor Ed shared the invitation again, and I fully understood what it meant. I really understood what it meant this time. I was scared. I was so scared. So we left. And then the next week, the next Sunday, January 19th, 2003, worship, crying, word, as Pastor Lloyd was back. So as Pastor Lloyd said, if there's anyone, at the end of his uh, message, if there's anyone, that's all he needed to say. I looked over at the woman that I walked in with that was my girlfriend. The last three words I ever said out loud as someone who identified as gay is when I said, I'm going and I got up out of my seat. My feet didn't touch the ground. I don't know that they have since. It was 19 years ago. I went up to the front, and Pastor Lloyd led me in a prayer to where I asked God the Father to forgive me of my sins. That is always the first step. Ask God the Father to forgive me of my sins, for Jesus to be the Lord and Savior in my life and to be filled with the Holy Spirit when I tell you God baptized me in his Holy Spirit in that moment. My life changed immediately. After 24 years of being addicted to drugs and alcohol, it ended that day. Amen. Amen. So I went from, remember Psalm 107, I went from that darkness to light and from deception to truth, truth that God loved me and that truth set me free. I was now free and so you know I was because when they invited me into that little room to get a Bible and that little My Heart Christ Home or whatever that booklet is out there, um, I went with them, so I'm like, okay, for me to go into a little, walking into a church with Christians is it's, it's something, but a little room. So I know, I know that I know that I know my life changed in that moment, and that's when I looked over and saw that my girlfriend had done the same thing. So we walked in as lovers, and we left as sisters in Christ, never to be with each other relationally like that again. We immediately became sisters in Christ. And so we went home and we were excited to not be in that relationship anymore, which is crazy because we had a good relationship. My friends know who she is. She's an amazing lady. So we were like, after like, a, I don't know, maybe a day or two, probably not even a week, I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to move into the spare bedroom. And it's like, oh, yeah, you do. And so we got the spare bedroom already. She bought me a TV for that bedroom. She's like, oh, let me buy you a gift. We'd wake up in the morning and she would go out on the back porch and read the word. I'd go out on the front porch and read the word and we'd meet in the dining room. And it's like, let me tell you what I read today. No, you got to go first yesterday. Let me tell you what I read. You know what book she started in? Job, crazy. <laughs> But the Lord ministered to her there. You know, I'm in Genesis and John going, oh, John, this is awesome. But, and then, like, within months, she found out somehow that there's these things called tracks. So she bought all these different tracks, and she's walking around our little town in New Jersey handing out tracks to people, like setting them. And there was this one called Why is Mary Crying? And it was just encouraging people to pray to Jesus and not to Mary. And whatever house that we, she saw, you know, Mary in the half shell, do you know what Mary in the half shell is? Whenever you saw Mary in the half shell, she's like, I'm going to that house. And you throw it on their front porch. <laughs> pray to Jesus, not Mary. 
I mean, she was on fire for the Lord. And God was growing us and growing us. So I got saved in January. I read through the whole Bible by June. I could not get enough of God's word. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, For your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, Lord, Lord, O Lord God of hosts. He gave me a new name, and it was just his. I was his now. And then I read through the New Testament again by the end of the year, so I was devouring God's word, and through that, and because of that, I was really getting to know him. And when we get to know him, then who we are is truly revealed. We can see ourselves in light of his eyes and his character. And so I started really trusting him. And as I was trusting him, I knew that I could start asking him personal questions like, God, if I wasn't born gay like I thought I was, why is it all I remember having, having even when I was little? God, will you show me everywhere I've been deceived? I'm feeling like it's a lot, and I don't want to walk in deception anymore. And God, will you show me all the places where I'm wrong and you're right and replace all that deception with your truth, please? That's why my ministry, um, it's like out of Egypt ministries from the depths of deception to the triumphs of truth because he took me out of a deception that was understandable circumstantially. But it doesn't mean that he wants us to continue to walk in that deception just because it's understandable. And so when we see people walking in deception, there's a reason they're walking in that deception. And we need to pray that God will reveal to them that they're walking in deception. And we need to walk with them just sharing truth with them, full of grace. We need to be full of grace as we share that truth so that they can hear the Lord when he starts to speak to their heart as well in whatever way, shape, and form that is. And so as I was asking God these questions as to, as to why, you know, like why did, why did I feel this way? at such a young age, and that's when he began to show me how the childhood trauma in every aspect of it, how much of an effect and deception that had on my life. He showed me how I detached from my mom. He showed me um, that when I started to like think sexually like a man, and again, this is, I'm just sharing, it's just my testimony. He showed me that when I was little, and we were outside of the house, I would hear my dad, whether I was there and mom was there, didn't matter who was there, I would hear my dad say things like, ooh, look at her. Look at the mm and the mm on her, ooh. And then my mom would be like, oh, and then say my dad's name, oh, honey. And he's like, well, you can look, but not touch. And so I'm like, oh, you can? Okay, I will look. Hmm, you're right, Dad. Looks pretty cool. And then eventually I touched. Our words matter, you guys. Our words really matter. And so we all have to be mindful of what we say in and out of our homes. I used to say, I'm from Jersey. Sarcasm is my love language. Hmm. 
I try not to say that anymore. I want to be, especially because there's, I mean, deception has been since the garden. It's just, there's so much deception now and it travels so quickly because of the internet that I'm really trying to be more careful with my words. And I pray that we'll, we, be, we'll, we will be as well. So uh, the Lord, I was trusting the Lord and the Lord showed me how important obedience was. How important it was. So he gave me, gave me the desire to be obedient showed me what to be obedient in. He gave me the strength to be obedient. And then when I was, he blessed me. How good is our God? So that when he was showing me and the memories of all this trauma and these things came back, I had the strength to deal with it in him. But I tell you, it felt crippling. It really felt crippling. But I had friends, Michelle Lopez and Christine Duquesne, walking me through. I had women that I went from playing super duper competitive softball, where it was beer and booze and curse words and drugs and cigarettes. I went from that to eventually joining the women's softball team at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge. And now it's Bible and worship and who cares if we win, which, but we did. <laughs> um, and I was around women that were encouraged. We all encouraged each other in our walk in, with the Lord. And I'm looking at who I'm surrounded with now. I'm like, God, you're so good to me. So as I was going through this painful process of, of him healing me, revealing what had happened, and then me having to take my hands off the wound that I wanted to cover. Because whenever we're in pain or there's a wound, we cover it, right? Even if you like... If you are walking down the hallway and you hit your elbow, hit the funny bone, what's the first thing you do? Oh, you cover it. So if it's true in the physical, it's true in the spiritual. So when we have that emotional pain, we cover it. And I'd covered it for years in all the ways that you heard me share. And now he's like, now that you trust me, will you remove your hand so I can clean out that wound? Because it's infected. Getting saved didn't take away the wound. It revealed that you had a wound. Will you trust me enough to clean it out? Not cleaning out's really gonna hurt. But when I clean it out, I'm gonna put my healing balm on it and you're gonna heal. It's gonna leave a scar, but you will heal. And so it was a process. It took years because he didn't give me everything all at once because he's a good God. So step by step, he was taking me through this healing process. I call it reveal and heal. And through the years, many women walked alongside me through that. And it was always women that never had same-sex attraction, never had gender confusion, and um, many of them had never experienced the same type of trauma that I did. But they sat and listened, and they prayed. And they never told me, you have to you know, dress more girly, you have to do this, you have to do that. They just sat with me and loved me right where I was with all of my gender flaws. I never went back. I never was with another woman again. But I still, I, I still felt more comfortable identifying more in a masculine way. And they never said, you know, you need to, to stop that. I remember one time over at Claire's house, we have a, a friend, Claire, and I was sitting there because I, you know, I, I sat kind of more like a guy. And Claire just says, girl, why are you sitting like that? Because we're, we're Jersey. Girl, why are you sitting like that? I'm like, oh, because this is how I sit. She's like, no, that's how guys sit. You need to sit like a girl. I'm like, well, this is how I sit. But then that little thought sat in my head, like, why do I sit like that? I don't really have a reason physically to. 
And then that's when the Lord started talking to me a little bit deeper about my gender dysphoria, which was way more difficult to deal with than my same-sex attraction. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a little while. So we're going to have 15... Okay, he's going to...